This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. We've all done it. You go to the store for a pair of socks and come out with a mega pack of soda. You go out to get shampoo and come back with a fancy razor. It's hard to stick to what's on your list. I challenge you to go to Ikea and leave with only the thing for which you came. Just try to buy a lamp without buying a cutting board. It can't be done. You absolutely knew this, but retail spaces are designed to do this to you. Producer Avery Truffleman. The store is trying to look so beautiful, so welcoming, the items so enticingly displayed in such vast quantity that you cannot help but be drawn in and then drawn towards something you don't need. This is the Gruen effect. The Gruen effect, or sometimes called the Gruen transfer, it's that moment when you walk into a store and the design of the store is so overwhelming and dazzling that you begin mindlessly consuming. The Gruen effect is named after Victor Gruen. So who was Gruen? He's a complicated, complex, contradictory guy. Jeff Hardwick wrote the biography of Victor Gruen, who was born Victor Gruenbaum. Born in Vienna in 1904, and he is Jewish in Vienna, leaves in 38. Good call, Grunbaum. And makes his way eventually to New York City. Once in New York, Gruen made a name for himself designing shops and retail spaces, and this was a particular challenge during the lean years of the late 30s. People had no money. They just wouldn't go into shops at all. But Gruen figured out how to lure people inside, basically by using amazingly appealing window displays. You would go into these window display areas, look at jewelry or handbags or chocolates, and then you'd be tempted and lured into the store. I mean, that's the Gruen effect. Gruen argued that good design equaled good profits. And he, he equates those as one-to-one. If you do more... People are going to stay there longer and spend more money. Gruen started making storefronts all over the country, and he moved from New York to Los Angeles in 1941. Gruen was from the beautiful city of Vienna, which is lined with shops and greenery and places to gather. He saw how most Americans were just riding around in their cars all the time, cut off from the city and from each other. And he knew this problem was even worse in the suburbs. The suburbs lacked what sociologist Ray Oldenburg calls third places. Think of home as your primary place, work as your second place. And that third place is where you go to build community, to hang out, to simply feel connected. Gruen wanted to give the American suburbs that third place. The image of living in closer communication with other people, the image of having the possibility from walk to one place to another, That's archival footage of Gruen from the University of Wyoming. The image of participating in events outside of your own little house has become a desirable factor. Victor Gruen imagined designing an environment full of greenery and shops, an indoor plaza, a modern forum, an island of connection in the middle of the sprawl, one that would only be accessible to pedestrians. Because, oh man, Victor Gruen hated Cars. He rants and raves against cars continually. One technological event has swamped us. That is the advent of the rubber wheel vehicle, the private car, the truck, the trailer, as means of mass transportation. And their threat to human life and health is just as great as that of the exposed sewer. 
It's hard to understand him with the tape hiss and the accent, but what Gruen is saying there is, the threat of cars to human life and health is as great as the exposed sewer. So Gruen's objective was to get people to park their cars far away from these third places and walk and stroll within them. As Gruen saw it, his structure would be an architectural panacea. It would remedy environmental, commercial, and sociological problems with the creation of a single building. And so Gruen presented his solution for America, the shopping mall. Gruen actually wanted the shopping mall to be more than just shops. Uh, He wants them to be mixed use. He wants uh, apartments and offices or medical centers attached to the shopping center. He makes cases to have childcare facilities, libraries, bomb shelters, a whole range of different functions. And Gruen dreamed and wrote about the enclosed shopping center way before he ever built one. Until he finally lands a commission for the very first indoor climate-controlled shopping center. In Adina, Minnesota, a place not known for its welcoming climate. Southdale represents an entirely new and dramatic concept in retail merchandising. Southdale Center opened in 1956, and it was the mother of all shopping malls. Seriously, Gruen's subsequent malls were all mostly based off this original Adina design. When he's doing the first enclosed shopping mall, Southdale, in Adina, Minnesota, What Gruen really emphasizes and what the media ends up celebrating is this massive center court. This court is enclosed and skylighted so that not only the stores, but the shopping sidewalks. In fact, the whole area in front of the stores is air-conditioned and temperature-controlled, a year-round climate of 72 degrees. For Gruen, he's creating a, a town square. Southdale Center wasn't quite mixed use, like Gruen imagined. People didn't live in it. And something like a daycare center or a post office couldn't afford that rent. But Southdale did have local shops of all kinds and plenty of shoppers. Southdale, tomorrow's Main Street, today. But from the outside, Southdale Center is not much to look at. I mean, it looks like a mall. It's this ominous, amorphous, boxy shape. In designing these shopping malls, Gruen ended his razzle-dazzle storefronts and window displays. Southdale hardly has exterior windows at all. He moves away from the original concept that in some ways they're going to attract by being ostentatious. The draw now is what's inside the mall. In Gruen's mind, it should have pretty much of a blank facade, no signage on it. And then you enter that space and then you walk into the shopping center and that's that sort of transformational Gruen transfer moment. Malls are designed as these sort of suburban pilgrimage sites, which of course you have to drive to. It's a commitment. You're driving 20, 30 minutes, you're parking, you're getting out of your car, you're walking in. Gruen knew that Americans loved to drive, so the mall was his compromise. You had to walk and stroll once you were inside, but the customers could drive over. So he just hates the automobile, but he never will acknowledge that he's creating these shopping centers, which are largely only accessible through cars. Gruen was right. Americans loved driving to his malls. He got commissions for them all over the country. But over time, Gruen sees that in erecting these malls, these tiny suburban cities, he's helping to drain the real cities. And so for a while, 
Gruen shifts his focus to urban planning. We want to rescue our cities, which because we have neglected are threatening to go to pieces. And so Gruen ends up being involved in urban renewal projects where he draws directly on some of the lessons learned in his suburban shopping malls and proposes bringing them back downtown. Municipalities hire Gruen and associates to make their downtowns more like malls. Gruen turns city centers into pedestrian-only spaces, full of public art and greenery and lined with shops. He made plans for Boulder, Fresno, Fort Worth, Kalamazoo. Actually, his plan for Kalamazoo became the first outdoor pedestrian shopping mall in the U.S. He even had a concept to turn Fifth Avenue into a pedestrian mall. He gets Manhattan to close down Fifth Avenue for a couple weeks as a test. But a city's downtown is not a mall. It's not so easily, quote-unquote, fixed, not so perfectly designed and controlled. Cities weren't going to become the pleasant, sterile shopping environments that Gruen wanted them to be. After the riots of the 60s, um, he is, he's shocked and sort of taken aback by those and, and was very much unprepared for them. And I think uh, that may have been somewhat of his reason for the retreat to Vienna. In 1968, Gruen moved from Los Angeles back to Vienna, back to the greenery and plazas he had been trying to imitate. But he could not escape his own creation. There's a shopping mall that's being built on the edge of Vienna, and he points to that as how that shopping mall is destroying downtown Vienna. In Gruen's mind, Vienna was already perfectly planned. It didn't need a mall like the broken American suburbs did. As he saw it, his original vision had been completely skewed. After being in Vienna about 10 years, he gives a speech and and writes a paper where he says, I refuse to pay alimony for these bastard developments. Victor Gruen, the mall maker, became the foremost mall critic. And meanwhile, America's love affair with malls continued. Dude, you want to crush a mall? What's a pretty girl like you doing sitting alone in the middle of this monument to consumerism? I know I remember in my own experience growing up in New Jersey when the first mall opened anywhere near me when I was in high school. This is Ellen Dunham-Jones. She's a professor of architecture and urban design at Georgia Tech. It was cool to go to the mall, but I mean, literally, it was air-conditioned. My home wasn't air-conditioned. My school wasn't air-conditioned. Today, most of us are spending our days and our nights in completely thermally controlled environments. A lot of us are craving being able to be outdoors. In recent decades, our tastes have veered away from climate-controlled environments and away from the indoor mall. Mall construction actually peaked in 1990. It's been declining ever since, and by 2006 is really the last brand new kind of standard conventional mall that's been built in the U.S. And a new product has entered the scene, a kind of shopping center that the ICSC, the International Council of Shopping Centers, calls a lifestyle center. Lifestyle centers started appearing in the 90s, uh, and they tend to be open air, so you don't have that roof anymore. But you have a lot of boutiques and a lot more restaurants. Lifestyle centers are malls disguised as main streets. And even though they're full of chain stores, lifestyle centers are sunny and walkable and bustling. And kind of what Victor Gruen imagined. 
And some of the old-style indoor shopping malls are being repurposed. Several of them are being retrofitted into Hispanic community centers. Like in Plaza Fiesta outside of Atlanta. A lot of the stores have been cut up into much smaller mom-and-pop small shops selling Western wear, selling quinceanera dresses. Plaza Fiesta also has a steady events calendar of performances. And this, too, was kind of what Gruen imagined. These sort of community malls are truly places to gather and spend money in the shell of the failed design. Most people, architectural historians especially, think Gruen was a horrible architect. And, you know, I I can see where they're coming from. I mean, his exteriors of his building are uniformly boring. But for Gruen, that wasn't the point. It was the interiors that were really the point. Those fountains, the cheesy statues, the elevator music piped in through all those speakers, those are all part of the Gruen effect. And they helped turn shopping malls into spaces where we felt comfortable staying and spending time and money. A lot of the original indoor malls are abandoned now. Seriously, like some of them are growing weeds inside. There's a website that's become sort of a graveyard of dead malls called deadmalls.com. Users can log on to submit stories of the dead malls in their towns. There are around 450 malls listed there, submitted as sort of oral histories. In particular, what's interesting, I think, about deadmalls.com is how nostalgic um, a lot of this is. And it, it does make sense. I mean, in so many suburban communities, the mall became the de facto town center. It was really the center of social life other than the school. I would be very sad if all of Victor Gruen's malls were demolished. We should certainly work to preserve at least one. The most famous mall in Minnesota may be the Mall of America, with its roller coaster, its zip line, its aquarium and water park. But the most architecturally significant mall, its grandfather, is the one that's just a 12-minute drive away in Edina. Jeff Hardwick's book is called Mallmaker, Victor Gruen, Architect of an American Dream. And Ellen Dunham Jones' book is called Retrofitting Suburbia. Special thanks to Claire Doherty for research help. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Avery Truffleman with Katie Mingle, Sam Greenspan, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown, mall-free, but lifestyle center-rich Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible is provided by our Kickstarter backers, who I like totally noticed from across the food court, and by Slack. Slack is the only messaging app for teams. 99PI is like totally in the bag for Slack now. I'm currently recording this in a hotel room in Minneapolis, but I'm keeping tabs on the production while I'm gone with all the Slack channels dedicated to different upcoming episodes and various projects, even though I have not gotten a single email or text from Mingles, Greenspan, or Truffleman. It's a minor miracle. Your team should try it. Slack is free to use for as long as you want with as many users as you want, but they do have paid plans with additional features and more powerful functionality. Anyone who visits slack.com slash 99 will get $100 in credits that they can use whenever they decide to upgrade to any paid plan. Go to slack.com slash 99. 
Support is also provided by Veridesk. We all know that sitting down all day is really bad for you. Veridesk is here to help. Veridesk lets you switch between a beleaguered Roman Mars-esque sitting position to a world-conquering Avery Truffleman-esque standing position and vice versa anytime you want to in just three seconds. And it sits right on top of your existing furniture. You can set it all up in a few minutes because it arrives fully assembled. Models start at just $275 and you can get all the benefits of a standing workstation at a fraction of the cost. Just go to veridesk.com, that's V-A-R-I desk.com, and find the model that's right for you. And finally, we are made possible by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boy Carver is 2,500 miles away from me. <laughs> I got my costume for a Star Wars dance party. I'm being Luke Skywalker. The dance party is also a birthday party. Star Wars dance party. Cool. Well, I love you and I miss you a lot. Bye. (laughs) Tiny letter. The simplest way to send an email newsletter. It helps you make the good email. The email that people want to read. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. Go to tinyletter.com from the great people behind MailChimp. Thanks to MailChimp and listeners like you, we made Radiotopia from PRX. Welcome to the Allusionist. That's Allusionist with an A, not an I. This is Criminal. Welcome. Welcome to Stranger. To the Heart. The Truth. The Mortified Podcast. Theory of Everything. Radio Diaries. Love and Radio. Fugitive Waves. From the Kitchen Sisters. It's the best people making the best audio for the best audience. It's a dream come true for me, really. Find out more at radiotopia.fm. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. You can follow my international travels on Twitter at Roman Mars. We're on Tumblr, Spotify, and Instagram too. But over 160 episodes of 99% Invisible are waiting for you at 99pi.org. Radiotopia.